to Balrod Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest on the mall, our good pal BFD, and a longtime listener, first-time caller, our other friend, <laughs> Diehard Chris. How are y'all doing tonight? Woo! Hello, hello. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's been a, it's been hey, a long I time. I hosted this show for most of one season a long time ago. Okay, give me some credit. Yeah, well, I was in the desert, Chris filled in, and then I think it was you and I did it in 2013 during that 2-14 and 14 season, and, you know, we battle fought, we went our way through it, and I know we start, we did the first couple of episodes, then BFD uh, jumped on the on the bandwagon from there, and now it's just been him and I, as you've got uh, too cool and too busy buying houses and uh, all that sort of stuff you have going on now. Your deep knowledge of Draper, your deep knowledge of Draper, you will be certainly taken advantage of during the show. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure. I'll never live down being the. I can't even remember that linebacker's name now. Oh, Tim Dobbins, of course. Thank you. Yeah, of course you remember. Of course you remember. So, is, is yellow a good accent color for a rug when I have a predominantly blue living room? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you know, if you, if as long as it's comfortable enough to to lay face down on when hard times come, then it doesn't really matter what color. Yeah, just say yes. Just say should, yes. Should, the drape match, should the drape match the carpet? I think that's something we all want to know. No, man, uh, matching is out now. No drapes, no drapes. <laughs> all carpet, no drapes. Oh, my God. Okay. All right, so there is some Houston Texans news today, and the big news is that Demarius Thomas will be cut. I, I didn't see anything aside from – I guess the po- the headline, the post on our website, and I don't know if he was cut or will be cut, but Houston's going to. If they haven't, and if they have, okay, Houston's going to save 14 million cap space by doing so, and they're going to have 78 million cap space entering the free agency period. So, Chris, do you think he's going to be back at all? Do you think they may say, okay, well, you can come back not for seven million dollars a year, but if here's three million, you can be a Wolf Fuller. Uh, insurance policy we can throw that same title screen to you that only works whenever uh, you run it like <laughs> once every every 15 plays and then you know you can get 35 catches have the eliminate Washington role in this offense or do you think that's it and the Houston's bigger and better plans at the wide receiver position nah I don't think he'll be back I mean you're already you already got one guy coming back off of off an ACL injury and add another and I, I don't know I mean he was he he was not great while he was here, but obviously, obviously also he was so new to the system and all that. So, you know, I give him a little room in that respect. And he was a, he was a pretty good red zone target for Deshaun, but I'm sure for the cost it'll, it'll take to, to bring him back at his you know veteran level. I, I'd rather them just um, spend that money elsewhere for someone younger and faster and someone who's more of a deep threat. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree with that. I wouldn't mind giving him, you know, having him around has that insurance policy. He's, but here's the deal is he suffered that injury late in the season. It is a full solid calendar year recovery for that type of injury for your average guy. 
and your average guy isn't normally a 31, 32-year-old wide receiver who's kind of at the end of that line anyway. So I think best-case scenario is you, you maybe get the last five weeks out of him, and you just can't throw a ton of money at that guy. And that's, that's the best-case scenario. Look what happened to Dante Foreman, a much younger guy that he was still struggling to come back from it at the uh, end of last year. I don't know if, if Thomas actually played the snap in 2019. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think Foreman and Thomas probably tore their Achilles around the same you know, part of the season as well, like in that week 12, week 13 area. And I guess for – well, even for Thomas, it was in that Philadelphia game, which I think was week 16. I don't know. A lot, a lot of time has happened since then, but I believe it was week 16. So, yeah, I mean, coming off the Achilles injury, I'm not expecting for him to be back. Even if he was great in his role last year as, hey, we need a guy who – after Will Fuller, you know, tore his ACL, we just need somebody. He was great, you know, filling that role as being, you know, fine at the wide receiver two position for a team with zero wide receiver to fill that role. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not expecting him to be here at all uh, for 2019, especially considering the injury history as well, too. Uh, BFT, is there anybody that you'd like in the free, this free agency class that could play at the wide receiver position, fill that role, either as a Will Fuller insurance policy or even just be kind of like the you know fourth wide receiver, or do you just like what Houston has right now? Uh, I, I think we definitely certainly need some depth. I mean, we're – I don't know if we're really going to be the sort of team that goes out and throws a bunch of money at a wide receiver, especially when you got DeAndre as your number one. But otherwise, I'm just not sure who you're going to look at to bring in that you really think is going to be effective. I mean, there's, not, there's no such thing as, as um, a fuller – health insurance, right? There's no such thing. That doesn't exist. And if it does, it's maybe like a Ted Ginn kind of guy. But I don't know. I can't think of who we bring in. I, I don't have a single suggestion at this point in time. We have a lot of cuts that are going to happen between now and then as well. We always like to add that in there. I mean, there's, there's a couple of names out there. They don't get you real excited. And I mean, I'll, I'll toss out a couple. You got, I think, uh, Don Brown is a free agent. He's, uh, he's a bit of a deep threat. Um, I, he'll probably be too expensive, but Terrell Williams from San Diego, um, he's probably going to get a pretty big deal. He's very young and pretty skilled. I don't know if Martavis Bryant has anything left. I, I don't pay attention to the Raiders, um, but he was certainly effective when he was with Pittsburgh. Um, I've, heard, I've heard other people also bring up um, the guy from the Redskins, uh, Jameson Crowder. So those are like some youngish guys, but but like BFD said, there's there's no such thing as really for, as, as insurance for Will Fuller. He's just he's just that dynamic. But on the blog this year, I've basically been saying, you know, look, clearly Will Fuller makes such a huge difference to this offense that to me, it's almost worth burning a high draft pick on getting another deep threat, just a guy that you know has no hi- injury history. And I know I don't think Fuller necessarily had a horrible injury history in college today, but, but he obviously has had that in the NFL. So, I mean, I wouldn't actually be opposed to them using a high pick on a receiver. I know that would be completely off the map of what everyone's expecting, but he just seems to make such a huge difference um, in the offense that it, it might be worth having someone like that. But of course, you know, you draft a guy, you, you have no guarantee that he's going to be Will Fuller, even if his college resume, resume might suggest that he could be another Will Fuller. Yeah, I, I don't and again I don't think I would go that high of a draft with the I mean even every offensive line they bring in doesn't matter. Even they draft to a tackle with you know the twenty second pick, he'd still be bad here. Every offensive line they bring in is bad, is gonna be bad in Houston. 
And then just the issue at cornerback is so enormous that I wouldn't use a high amount of draft capital on it. I would be for like signing John Brown, even though you know me saying this is mainly because I love John Brown and uh, mainly just because of that Tyus Andronicus album. And it was awesome seeing him uh, bounce back in Baltimore this past year. You know, like he would be perfect if you could get him for, you know, $6 million a year, $7 million a year for, you know, three years, or you could cut him after a year or two if it doesn't work out. And like that sort of sign would be a great signing that you can make. Or you have a guy you can, you know, you, you have who can run deep, who can help out, you know, whenever Fuller gets hurt because it's going to happen. And then you can play the slots on too with uh, QD always being hurt too. And so like it's kind of a weird position that Houston's in with like health wise, they have a really great wide receiver group. And then you're just six weeks in the season, you look around and it's just DeAndre Hopkins and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I just feel like the Texans feel like the kind of organization that will go into next year, assuming health for Will Fuller. And that's a huge mistake. You know, he's, he's going to get hurt again. I think, I think that that's kind of a given at this point, you know, maybe he'll last 12 games this time or maybe even 14 games, but I just feel like it's going to happen. And he's one of those guys where, you know, he might want to put some more muscle on, develop his frame or whatever, but he may not be as fast if he does that. And let's not forget that he's coming off an ACL injury. And I know that that is not the daunting task that it used to be as far as coming back and being the same guy. There's a lot of guys who have come back and had a lot of success and haven't lost a lot of speed, but there's still no guarantee that he's not going to be that same guy. And of course, in the NFL, the difference between the fastest in the league and a guy who's very fast isn't really that much, but that little difference is what makes him who he is. So there's a real good chance that a, he'll never be as fast as he was and B he's probably going to get hurt again. At least that's what the, that's what the, you know, that's what the obvious things we've seen in the past lead us to believe. So yeah, they need corners, they need offensive linemen, they need this, they need that, but it makes such a dynamic difference to the offense that I would be shocked if they spent, you know, a one through three pick on a receiver, but I wouldn't be pissed about it. I'm going to throw a couple more names out there because if we're talking about somebody who's going to fill that role and what he does as a field stretcher, because that's what makes him such a, you know, again, we talk about his ability to blow the top off the defense is what allows the Bill O'Brien kind of offense, what little of it there is strategy wise. (laughs) The kind of offense. (laughs) And and that thing it is in the corner, that, that hairy beast in the corner. So a couple more names to throw out there are first-round draft pick bust, Bill Dorsett and um, Rashard Perryman. They bring kind of the same skill set as does Will Fuller, and you aren't going to have to throw a ton of money at them. Another guy who might be worth a chance, Kevin White. Again, another first-round, you know, draft pick bust. But, you know, when you start talking, looking at some of these guys, a lot of the guys who are going to be free agents, a lot of the guys who are available now – John Brown's the only other guy who kind of fits that, and he turns 30. So Des Bryant doesn't fill that role. Robbie Anderson kind of does, but I, don't, I think he's going to he's going to get re-signed by the Jets. Golden Tate certainly isn't that guy, and there just isn't a whole lot of talent outside of Geronimo Allison after that. I'm so, I'm so mad just about thinking Golden Tate in this offense. All of the screen passes on third and 12 that would be run if they sign Golden Tate. I'm I can't live that. I can't do that. That would be the worst. <laughs> Matt, you seem to love things that you hate, so I think you would do just fine. The Houston Texans especially. Uh, I, I, I hate myself, and I don't love myself at all either, so we can't. That's the, <laughs> that's the one thing against the rule. 
can all wander the desert together until we just die of thirst. Thirst oh, for good offensive football. That's why you stash it. You know, you stash it, you come back to it. You record the games, come back to it, or you check the score, come back to it. Oh, it's, it's a bad, bad score. I'm not watching that one. That's how you do it. Uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm kind of sad now, though, because I forgot. I, one thing's, you know, going back and watching a bunch of highlights, which is just GIFs I have on uh, that Giffy Cat website. So I forgot about how good Will Fuller was. Like, I watched a couple of those big catches against Miami. It's like, oh, wow, that was a really fun game. Uh, watching, you know, somebody actually throw the ball 45 yards downfield. Anytime Deshaun Watson throws the ball downfield, is a rare occasion. It should always be celebrated. And now – I just I, – I forgot about how good Will Fuller was. And then we started talking about him, and I forgot about the ACL injury and everything else. So now I, I don't even know if I'm going to do the rest of the show now. I'm just really bummed and, and hurt and sad. All right. Good night, everybody. Oh, yeah, I've got some, I got some depressing awards for you later, so you want to stick around for that. It's definitely going to get worse. All right. Uh, let's, see, let's see how much more facial hair I can grow by then, if I can uh, get any more, <laughs> any more raggedy. Uh, so, Chris, how excited are you that Brian Cushing can fail another steroids test, not get picked up by any team in the league, retire, and then still kind of sort of play football for the Houston Texans? <laughs> so excited to see my guy back with the team. Um, yeah, it's a weird move. And I kind of feel like they, the, the team could have done themselves a favor if they would have focused more on the, uh, the the little discussed defensive assistant role that he also is apparently going to have. But I, so I don't know if it's one of those things where, you know, PR just didn't even think about the backlash or they didn't care about the backlash because that's what PR does. And I've had experience with the Texans PR folks in person before. And, and I, I can tell you, they don't, they don't miss a lot. So it, it seems like sort of a conscious decision decision by them and not really giving a damn what the fans think. So strange, strange, uh, strange decision there but I mean you know all joking aside obviously the guy is uh is a hard worker he, he overtrains like hell you know he'll uh he'll he'll convince the other guys to overtrain like hell I'm sure he'll spend half of his time bragging about how he would be much better than they are on the field you know oh, with that sure. uh, sort of meathead persona he has but I will say this about Cushing if you guys didn't bother to listen to his appearance on the on the Arian Foster podcast he, he he's he's not as much of a dude bro as I guess I thought he was. He kind of admitted that that was just basically a fake persona, which kind of surprised me a little bit because it's either the best fake persona ever that uh, you know for that type of meathead persona, or he's just flat out lying. Or maybe whenever you talk to Arian Foster, what happens to you? You uh, you become more like him, and uh, you start to paint and stuff. <laughs> But I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really see the harm in it. It's just publicly, it's sort of a, you know, a way for the fans to, to drag the team like we love to do. But I mean, you know, it's not like he is the strength and conditioning coach. He's an assistant. I'm sure it's one of those things where the first year they're just going to say, you know, let's see how much you actually want to do this. They'll stick him in the film room for his defensive assistant work, see if he can actually handle those 18 hour days. Because every every time I hear a former player talk on the radio they talk about how hard it was but then when I hear them hear the ones who try to get into coaching they say well if you think the hours are bad when you're a player it's way worse when you're a coach so you know we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see he seems like the kind of guy who will make an entire living until the day he drops dead in football so uh, I won't be surprised if he sticks around 
in this role a few years and then moves on to another team for an actual strength and conditioning role or defensive assistant role somewhere else. We'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for the year 2027 or probably less than that. It's 2019. So maybe, maybe like 2024 when Brian Cushing's leadership gets him a head coaching job somewhere. But I'm really excited for this role just because, I mean, look at, look at his biceps throughout his career. That's the guy who he was, your strength and conditioning coach. I'm sure he could probably even play a little bit of inside linebacker on the scout team or the practice squad uh, if, the, if the days recall it. Him puking in the summer of hard knocks and also just like completely belittling and uh, obliterating Alfred Blue. Now is probably my favorite moment <laughs> of hard knocks now that we're, you know, a few years removed from it after when his career has played out. But yeah, like I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I like you loved him up, man. He loved him up before the game, though. Remember, he had him like head to head. He was like, whoa, what is, what is Cushing doing right now? You remember that moment when he and like Blue were like forehead to forehead? Yeah, it was very cute. And this is what I liked about Cushing as well, too. It's like he's mean and stuff, but he's also very sweet and very cute, very gentle. I, I, don't, I don't believe you. I don't think you like him. <laughs> now, actually, I legitimately like Cushing. And, may, and also because he's the only player I've ever seen stick prime Marshawn Lynch. Uh, I like the eye black. And, yeah, like he was just – he had like a – I think he's going to be kind of underrated in Houston, mainly because of the injuries and – and the fact that like, both of his injuries, too, were just such awful like, accidents. Yeah, like the Matt Slauson diving back on his knee. Uh, Jamal Charles just completely, like, cutting him in half as he's a free blitzer. Like, if they were, like, self-tissue issues where he just never was able to get healthy. They were, you know, like, car accidents that he uh, faced. And so I think his career probably could have gone maybe a little bit longer, a little bit better. But, uh, but Pete Brian Cushing, just, like, from an enjoyment and entertainment perspective, he was a lot of fun to watch, and he made like, the Texans defense like interesting in a defense with uh, you know guys like JJ Watt, who you know drinks his milk every morning and says his prayers. Mm-hmm. So, what about yeah, you, BFC? Have, are you are you excited for Brian Cushing? I was just letting you know Chris man crush on Cushing for a while, so <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like hey. to imagine that there's that, that there's a jar of mayonnaise right next to Chris He's talking about fishing like this. Oh, um, it's empty now. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he made his own mayonnaise. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. <laughs> so you know, I, I gotta say um, that uh, I, I've got a pretty deep opinion on this that nobody you know gives a crap about. But I've got to say that there's probably a lot more that needs to be done in the nutrition room as, as much as in the weight room, and. Um, you know, with what I, I'm fortunate that I live, you know, I'm married to a woman who knows a lot about nutrition and that sort of thing. And when I see kind of the stuff that goes on, we just lost growth. Okay. When I see some of the stuff that sort of goes on with, with you know, they're consuming food wise, I would think that there'd be the nutrition side would be just as important for it. So it's great that Cushing is going to be there as a strength coach and teach everybody how to shoot up and cover up their back ring. But, you know, I would, I would also like to see a very strong focus on the nutritional side. And I hope the Texans do that. This is something I don't know if they do or not, but uh, that would be like a good thing to know for a professional athlete, make sure they're fueling their body in ways it needs to be fueled according to what their needs are. Um, I have something. Yeah, let's hear it. This is not, this is, this is not sports related at all. Um, Matt and BFD, can you, uh, can one of you guys explain uh, Post Malone to me? Nah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's over for one. Matt, does does Post Malone slap? I need to know this. I wouldn't say he slaps. That congratulations song's good. And the rest of it, like the weird thing about him is I'm like, yeah, I know one Post Malone song and it's that, that congratulations song, which I like legitimately enjoyed for, you know, two weeks in October 2017 or whenever it was. But then he's in like every other song out there. So like you've heard 15 different Post Malone songs. You just don't realize it's him the entire time. And so now I don't, I don't really have a big opinion on him. I'm just glad that like pop music is Post Malone instead of, you know, Gangnam Style and, uh, and that sort of thing. I'm glad I've evolved as a nation to have at least slightly better music, you know? Well, Matt, you are my guide to the eternal question I have about all new music, which is, do it slap? All right, you want to hear you want to hear what slaps right now? You want to hear some music that slaps? Oh boy! So, sure, sure, hit me up. What is it? All right, so there's this band called Pup P U P. They have a new album okay. coming out in like two weeks or three weeks, and they're really great just because every song sounds like it should be on the intro, like cinematic for every NHL game ever made, and like every single track. <laughs> their albums is like they're like you see and you know you see ea sports you see the nhl 2003 sign and then you hear you should be hearing pup play and then it's uh jeff friesen you know, smashing brent shanahan and boards and then i've been listening to there's this band called young jesus there's this album i didn't like all that much or i listened to it, oh i kind of like this and then i listened to this album called s slash t by them the other night while i was looking at numbers and uh, it's very pretty. I like that one. And then also there's um, the show I'm going to in two weeks, this band called Daughters. And looking at the music I liked last year, I didn't realize how like wound up and angry I was. But this band's like really great. Uh, 2018's a postmodern. You know, sludge. It's all wasteland. It's like really good, like angry. I hate living in the city music. And uh, also like if you wanted to deadlift, it adds like 100 pounds to your deadlift max just by hitting play on that album. And I have no idea what it's going to look like live because a lot of the music just sounds like trash cans smashing together as fast as possible. But I'm sure it's going to be, good. <laughs> sure it's going to be very good live. So those three, those three okay. slap. I have, I, have much, I have much to research. Thank you very much for that. And then the, the, I got one more album because it's, it's the middle of February. It was 71 degrees here in Texas. Whenever you're excited for the springtime, play the hotel years. Goodness, the album covers like eight naked people on it, but they're all like over the age of 65. And it's kind of like the movie Hereditary, except it's like really sunny and green. And so, yeah, have you ever missed the sun and, you know, swimming and walking outside, all the great things about April through, you know, September or October, however you feel, wherever you live? Uh, the hotel years, goodness is always a really great album to, to listen to whenever it's February in this. I have written this down as well. And I noted your reference to hereditary. And I guess maybe we should save that for another podcast, but uh, I don't like horror movies and that was my favorite movie of the year. So oh, that's cool. there you go. I'd like to, yeah, well, we could talk about this probably for 30 minutes then. We'll have to do uh, an off season only, you know, watching stuff. But what I liked about hereditary more than anything is it was really funny. And, uh, and also, I know you, I've brought up True Detective being bad in the email group, which like talking about an email group on a podcast is the worst podcasting. 
But I think True Detective is worth watching just because the last episode was cool and like it completely turned and it may actually be good, but who knows? And I'm going to throw one more one more out there for you guys. If you like not country country, Will Courtney is awesome. Great singer songwriter. Got a Will Will Courtney. Will Courtney here here in the ATX. He's fantastic. What is not what is not country country? That means he sings he sings kind of country songs, but they really aren't. They're not crappy like poor lyric country songs. Whereas like they're not like I think a particular lyric. Yeah, it, when I think of country these days, to me, country is pop music. Yeah. And it's trash. Yeah, that's Walmart that's country. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> or stadium country, as my son calls it. Uh, Wolverine uh, boots, Carhartt jacket, Walmart country. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> we'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll get out some of these awards that uh, I, know, I know everybody is breathlessly waiting for. And we're back. And so for the awards, what we're going to do is each of us has come up with three awards. Nobody has any idea in the entire world what these three awards are each of us have come up with. And so we're just, we're just going to kind of uh, go in order. I guess I'll go first and we'll pass the, pass the ball around and uh, I'll say an award that I have and then BFD will have an answer for that award. Same thing with Die Hard Chris and we'll kind of go through it that way. So the, the first one I have here, let's get, let's get some numbers out of the way. So it's the stat of the year. So this is the Houston Texans offense. Are you ready? On first down, they ran the ball 285 times. They threw the ball 182 times. They averaged, they averaged, they had DVOA on first down rushes. And they give 25.2%, which is 29th in football. Their pass offense DVOA on first down which is 25.6%, so pretty much the inverse of it, which was ninth in football. On first down, they averaged 5.06 yards of play, which is 28th. And then on second down, they averaged 6.5 yards of play, which was second. And on second down, they ran the ball 140 times. They threw the ball 202 times. And so, yeah, Deshaun Watson's really good. Maybe you shouldn't just run the ball first and 10 every time uh, because it doesn't <laughs> work. That just go up the middle with an offensive line. It doesn't need a lot of movement on the on the first level or block the second level well. Oh, yeah, but yeah, use Deshaun Watson. He's really good. Do that more often, Bill Bride. I can't believe we... I can't believe nobody listens to us. That Maybe Deshaun Watson's your main guy, not Alfred Blue. <laughs> I guess how many carries Alfred Blue had last year? Well, he had like 130 carries. Uh, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. I mean, he's like the David Eckstein of football players. Not only does he lead off the game with the worst ops in the league, but he gets a lot of at-bats doing it. That's Alfred Blue. But at least he sprints to first base after he walks. But yeah, Alfred Blue had 150 carries. Uh, he averaged 3.3 yards a carry. Lamar Miller averaged 4.6 yards a carry. And then whenever, whenever you remove that nice seven-yard run from Lamar Miller, it drops down to 4.19 yards a carry, which is still you know about a whole yard better than Alfred Blue anyways. Just, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's let's have fun again. But yeah, that's my stat right. of the year. I do either of you do either of you like a whole pint of whiskey because of you, Big Matt. Just just even words <laughs> Alfred Blue. I'm just gonna reach for the nearest bottle of turpentine or bleach or alcohol or gasoline, just anything, anything to yeah. kill the pain. There's been way too much uh, Alfred Blue talk. So, do any of you have a favorite stat from the 2018 season? 
Go ahead, Chris. Knock yourself out, buddy. <laughs> um, yes, I have. A, I have a, my favorite. Here's my favorite stat of the of the 2018 season. 17. The number of starts for Deshaun Watson. Oh, that's a good one. I was I got, definitely oh feeling the fear going into the season that he might get hurt again. And then especially three or four games into the season when he was just getting beaten with a sledgehammer all over his body every single play, I thought, okay, this is going to be fun while it lasts, but we only got a couple more games of this, so we might as well just sit back and enjoy it because pretty soon it's going to be Brandon Weed. And miraculously, he not only survived the entire season from you know any of the sort of non-contact uh, injuries, but he miraculously survived while getting fully contacted constantly. So that actually was one of my favorite things about the season that Deshaun not only proved his durability for a full season plus playoffs, but he also uh, continued to show that he's a franchise quarterback. You know, he obviously didn't excel the way he did in his rookie season, but he showed he showed that he you know is the guy for sure. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. I know Deshaun Watson had a touchdown rate of 9.3% in 2017. It dropped down to 6.5% in 2018, which was nine. You know, it wasn't an all-time great, he'll never do again uh, touchdown rate season. That's why, you know, his 2017 was so wild. And uh, he regressed in that manner, and he was still probably even better this year. And I have no concerns about Deshaun Watson moving forward all whatsoever after 2018. Yep. So do you have, do you have a staff for us, BFD, where you able to pull something out? I pulled something out of my brain, yes. There and that goes. number is zero, which was the number of drops by DeAndre Hopkins in 2018, which is set, like, every imaginable record as far as that's been tracked. It's just he had 163 targets, 115 receptions, zero drops. He is... Badass personified. I like that and one that too. That was a poor real Patterson guy. <laughs> yeah, you and Rivers can, sure, can, Rivers. Uh, can go somewhere else. Uh, so the the PFF was that from PFF that zero drops thing? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I, I'm going to go through and watch every game and find the one drop he had because there has to be one. There. I thought he had a drop too. I thought he. Yeah, had I re- too, remember I one. I remember, and this, I remember they did the same thing with Andrew Norwell two years ago. So he never gave pressure, and like, yeah, he did. He gave. He, there was a stunt he didn't pick up, so that's the pressure he gave. You know, it's a bunch of. He, they're not perfect. There's a lot of uh, misinformation they're spreading. I did not. I could not come up with one, a drop, not with a legit drop. The only reason why I remember is because it happened, and I was on the air, and I was like, that should be a drop. And they didn't score a drop, and it looked like a drop. So, I don't know. Maybe he got the benefit of doubt. I feel like it was early in the season, too. But, <sighs> yeah, I don't know. When, you let us know, Matt, because you're going to be the one that goes through and watches all 16 games looking for this drop. So I will. That. My wife recently left me, so I have plenty of time to do things like that. <laughs> all right. So, so, Chris, what's your first award? Okay. Let's see. Mine were very so I don't know how much you're going to be able to match these up. So here, I'll, here, here's my here's my first one. I'll start with a happy one, even though it has a bad title. Um, let's see if I can just get this update to come off of my screen. All right, 
Here's the name of my award. My favorite moment of a season we knew would end in tears, but I had to allow myself one moment of enjoyment before returning to the bottomless pit of despair and misery. That's the name of this. That's the name of this award. And the answer for this one is the entirety of the Texans win at home over the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football because I actually went to that game and I got to see them whoop the Titans in person and I got to see a 97-yard touchdown run in person. And that was a lot of fun and pretty incredible. And that was like one of the best nights of the year with the possible exception of the win against the Dolphins uh, as far as the home games go. And that's, that's mine. So I guess, I guess this, the short version of the name of this award is what was your favorite or most exciting moment or play or game of the year? So I'm, I'm have to say, yeah. So I'm (laughs) sorry. I I had to go back in my co-host brain for a second and say, oh, you got to pitch it to someone. BFD were both looking at each other like we didn't know if we were going to kiss each other or not, and neither one of us did. We regretted it. Oh, God. Let me get some money. Hold on. For for me, it would have to – I bet the Lamar Miller ride in person was really cool um, to actually see live. Like, whenever it happened on television, it's like, yeah, I I guess. I don't like the Times. It's hard being a Times fan, but – my favorite moment has to be the Philadelphia game. And whenever Watts in the second half, they fell behind. And Bill Brown is like, well, I guess I actually have to use this guy. I guess I have to, I have to actually score some points in a game of football. And that third 11 conversion he had where he broke four tackles in the pocket and then found uh, Jordan Aikens, you know, dragging across the field was one of the, like, the best of all plays I've ever seen. That third Vincent Smith was so perfect. Uh, and like all those like, Little throws he had to DeAndre Hopkins were awesome too. Where Hopkins just like all he had to do is get close, and he he caught just about everything. He didn't have the big play in that game, but he was just the constant first down maker throughout it. But yeah, that Watson game against Philadelphia was really reminiscent to the games he had in 2017, and that was mm-hmm. you know that was after the Jets game too, where uh, Watson actually where teams caught on like yeah we can throw the ball against this team, and uh, Bill O'Brien like actually uses Sean Watson. It took him until the Texans, you know, fell behind for it to happen. Uh, but whenever he actually did, uh, Watson was, you know, absolutely spectacular. And so even though they lost that game against Philadelphia, you know, that was my favorite thing. And also, like, them losing because Nick Bowles threw the ball a lot wasn't the worst way for me to enjoy a Texans loss, you know. Yeah, and I just want to tag one more thing on there. I, I mentioned a minute ago how happy I was about Deshaun starting all 17 games and also showing that he's, you know, unquestionably the franchise quarterback you know he didn't he didn't regress a whole lot and you know this year and a lot of times he was at some point he was better the other thing i wanted to add is that not only did he stay healthy not only did he show that he's a franchise quarterback but he's also clutch as hell i mean we already knew that because of his college career but it's not the same when you go to the nfl and there's a lot of things that happen in your rookie year that you say okay they'll get film on you this that and maybe you got some good breaks but he's so clutch and he's still clutch and i love that because you know if they're gonna ever become the playoff contenders the number one trait you might choose for your team is to have a quarterback who's great at clutch. BFD? I, I was going to be, yeah, because see, the, the problem is, is that you're close to one of mine, and so what I want to do is I want to make sure that I, I choose something different on the way through. And so mm-hmm. I think my favorite play of the year, as far as that goes, and it's just because like, like, I've seen a lot of football. I've seen a 97-yard run. I've seen two 99-yard runs, like, live when they happen. 
Like I'm old. You get old, you see stuff again and again, even if it's 90 yard run. The one play that I, go ahead. I said, but in person, you saw this. Uh, no. (laughs) Hey, look, that was the reason that I picked that because I was actually at the game. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want no smack from you because I was at the Earl Campbell game against the Dolphins that I saw live. And so that like any other experience you might've had at a live game, I just killed uh, all your experiences. Bro. I went to the Bills Oilers game in Buffalo. <laughs> I, I have again, the ticket. My, my, my game was better because we won. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, definitely better. <laughs> I would argue that it's not more memorable. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know about anyway. that. Anyway, <laughs> that just, but I, I think my favorite play, and I, I don't remember the distance of the play, but it was when Will Fuller got behind the Dolphins uh, secondary. And it was the first play I can ever remember where, where a defensive back is blaming another fellow defensive back for blowing coverage while the ball is in the air. And I thought that was <laughs> the best thing in the world. I was dying because I, I, I even saw that as it was happening live, and I, I, I died when that was happening. I just thought that was the funniest damn thing ever. That was my favorite play because it gave me such great comedic value. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. And I'm guessing that was the one where Will Ford didn't tear his ACL on, unlike the one that didn't matter at all whatsoever where he did. Right, yeah. That was one where he got wide open. It was early on. I think it was second quarter. And he just – he got and, – and the Dolphins defensive back one was pointing and yelling at the other guy. The ball was still in the air. I mean, that was the best thing. The ball was still in the air. He didn't even put the ball yet, and the guy had already given up on the play. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I watched some of those highlights too, and that game had a couple of fun things. There was that weird play where uh, the wide receiver got smashed and the ball went way up in the air and added 15 yards to a completion. And then there was the name-redacted fumble that didn't count. There was the no. – that was DeAndre Hopkins wild, wild DeAndre Hopkins had one wild catch in that game where he lost his helmet, I think. And then JJ Watt, I think he recovered a fumble in that one. And there was and Danny Amendola was the best quarterback in the game for Miami too. And that's that was the best hot, best parts of that one. So Can't argue with those. I I may have reference to the fumble later in one of my uh, honorable mentions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll just. I'll just cut my tongue off next time I, I get close to doing that again. All right, so BFT, no, no, what's your cool. first one? So here's my first one. This one I've named the P.D. Fagan Memorial Defensive Back Play of the Year Non-Sharif Wright Edition. Okay, good. <laughs> so, yeah, because uh, Sharif Wright, it's like, hey, you ran a sluggo. You're in a wheelchair. You just torched me. See ya. So uh, anyway, <laughs> Matt... Your favorite, and obviously it's the Petey Faggins Memorial. So give it to me, baby. So for this one, I mean, this is the easiest one probably for me. It for sure is Tyron Matthew getting beat deep by Nelson Aguilar for a 74-yard touchdown. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I like all year long you see Matthew get beat in man coverage. He gives up touchdowns. He celebrates after making tackles on first down. They end up in a first down. The misses a tackle on the following play that ends up, it, ends up with a touchdown. Um, I mean, just like the personality of just wishing you're really good but acting like you're really good while just being mediocre. Uh, it was just super annoying. 
And so to keep saying it's Howard Matthews and I could finally have him have like a, a really clear example of like, you don't want him playing man coverage. You don't want him being the last safety back, you know, whatever those sorts of things to see it in like that spectacular fashion. I was uh, to say, I was upset about the play. Isn't the right word to say I was happy with the play uh, is the wrong word, but you know, it was, it was a good mix in between, you know, sometimes life is sweet and sour. Um, okay. Um, I don't actually remember what game this was, but at some point, I want to say mid to late in the season, there was a key third down play where Deshaun rolled out and hit Ryan Griffin right between the numbers and he dropped the ball. And while that doesn't really seem like a big deal in and of itself, it's just sort of like this, this microcosm of the whole thing with Ryan Griffin and personnel and O'Brien and usage and even going back to Rick Smith and bad contracts because it's Ryan Griffin. And I know we're, if we're going to mention all these players that we need to be on brand about that, we don't like, you know, for Matt, it's Tyron Matthew for BFD. It's pulling P Fagan's out, blowing the dust off of him for me on this current and, and also Alfred blue for BFD and also Bill O'Brien for uh, BFD and also many others. Uh, for me, that guy is Ryan Griffin, not just because he is who he is, but because he got a contract extension because he's still listed as the first tight end on the depth chart. Ugh, God, I just want his era with this team to be over. So my answer to this one is uh, against the DESF at home. Matthew bites on the play action, comes down, and lets Johnny Smith run right past him for a 61-yard touchdown. And the entire time, oh, right. the entire time, Tyron Matthew wants to blame somebody else for that play, gets on Twitter the next day and blames anybody. Ask the coaches who it was. Dude, you had one responsibility on that play, and his name was Johnny Smith, and you let him run past you, and you – you went all crybaby about it. I don't even, can't even. Man, that was just so, that to me, that was Tyron Matthew in a season, that play. It was just, a, I mean, the whole thing with Nelson Aguilar, that was like the icing of cake. But man, the fluffy goodness, moist goodness underneath was Johnny Smith. Matt. I, I, I completely forgot about that one too. But, you know, you didn't watch the film, bro. You, didn't, you don't know what really happened. Ask for your canal was responsible. Bullshit. All right, so for the the next one, I'm gonna go with the worst Bill O'Brien decision of the year. And when I when I wrote Damn. about when I wrote about it, I said you know adjustments, and it took me a second to. Well, this is not really the worst. I guess it's probably my favorite. Is a better way to say it. And I, it's hard for me to think of a specific example, but then I had a couple of days to go for a walk and you know, watch the sun go down and the sky turn pink and really think about it. And it has to be the first Indianapolis Colts game, not the second or third one where they lost, but the first one they won. Whenever they called the timeout at the end of the half and they wasted the timeout, which would, have, which would have gave them, you know, some extra time to be able to actually score points at the end of the half. And it was with the Colts in the red zone. They come back out of the break after the timeout to be better prepared for this Indianapolis Colts uh, red zone play. And Eric Ebron's staying on the left sideline, wide open, all by himself. Angela takes a snap, throws it to him immediately. It's a touchdown. 
And uh, that, how much of that's Bill O'Brien's fault, but the timeout was stupid. And Houston, I don't believe, scored within the half. They could have used that extra timeout for that, for that point of it. And uh, just to come out of the, the timeout that Elf prepared, I think it was very beautiful. I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So one of my awards is titled the BFD Memorial Award for Most Infuriating Moment of the Season. <laughs> and, it, and, and that moment is a Bill O'Brien moment. So in the interest of time for the show and yeah, uh, we'll, combining we'll a couple of these. Together. Yeah, I'll just go with that one. So for my entry, and you could have done this for several games, but the one that I will post it on is the final six minutes of the playoff loss when Bill O'Brien had the offense running as if it was the first quarter. They were down two scores, and every snap they're getting it off with like six, seven, maybe if you're lucky, eight or nine seconds on the play clock instead of, you know, 15. And, and the, whole, the whole pacing of the offense there, I mean, that's not that's – not, that, that's from the top to the bottom. It's the coach not coaching it. It's Desha- and I, I, I kind of struggled to think, okay, well, Deshaun should have sped this up himself, but it's clearly coaching because this is what Deshaun did in college. Like this was his thing. He ran that two minute offense perfection. And here he is in the pros running it as if it's the first quarter and it's a tie game. And that just absolutely infuriated me. The, the, of all the dozens and dozens of things about O'Brien that, that make me crazy, I, it's hard to pick one, but certainly at or near the top of the list is the lack of urgency late in games when they're down more than one score. It just, I, I don't, I don't understand it. I feel like maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like no other team has that problem. I don't really watch other teams that much. So I, I'm that, that could be complete fake news for all. And it could just be like totally non-factual, but I just feel like they're they're That's such a basic element of an offense that it can't possibly be something that all the teams do. Yeah, and that one really hurt, too, because it's not like they were out of that game. I remember they went no two wins in the first half, so this game's over, and they score with some time left in the third quarter. It's like, you know, there's something interesting that could happen there, and it just never materialized at all whatsoever. And then get part of that is, like you're mentioning, where they're walking to the line, they're throwing the ball to the shotgun without any movement, yeah. time, and uh, against the Colts and, defense. And as I'm wa- yeah, and as I'm watching that, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, when they do, when you do that for three, four plays in a row, like that's two more plays you lost. That's three more plays you lost. I mean, it's, it's not, there's no, it's so infuriating because there's no logical explanation for it. There's no answer that O'Brien or Deshaun or whoever could give that would make that an acceptable way to coach the end of a two possession game. In a playoff game too, for that matter. It's not like you're seven in week 12, you know, you're kind of tired and you're on the road and, uh, you got a long flight home that evening. This is it. Yep. And at home, too. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so BFD, what's your uh, uh, Bill O'Brien Memorial worst decision of the year <laughs> slash BFD Memorial? Oh, how does he narrow it down? How? Which, which one do you have after this treasure trove? Of, I feel like it's like one of those photo albums of the 1980s you have with thousands of pictures of them. Uh, which one do you have for this one? So I set myself up with my own punchline for one later on. So I'm going to save that one in my pocket because I love me some me. Uh, I, I think I'm going to go typical. with <laughs> what, Chris? That's a typical. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's all about me sometimes, baby. Uh, so the one I'm going to go with for now is, this, is, is a topic that Matt and I started pounding literally after the first 
game week one. Why the heck aren't you using, aren't you giving your offensive line some help with, with chipping, with your back, with your tight ends? Doing something to keep, you have your shiny franchise quarterback, you know, he's all polished and clean and pretty, and you're doing your absolute best, as, as Big Matt put it, put him into, to turn him into a, a, a big puff of red dust. And it was so not cool the first part of the season. And it took them until like week seven or eight to actually start doing this, to actually start implementing it. Look, Matt and I are football bloggers. We both live in our mother's basement, which is really weird because we both live in Texas and there's no freaking basements, but somehow we live in our basement. And we called this out week one and it took Bill O'Brien seven weeks, whatever it was, six, seven, eight weeks to figure out to start doing it. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know at what point in time it finally kicked in that it might be a good idea, but it, when I think about Bill O'Brien and it's that inability to really adjust, like he has a set way to do this. Like I'm going to take off my pants with the right leg first and the left leg second. <laughs> and he can't, something else, he can't deviate from that. So if he starts thinking like, oh my God, I've got to start chipping. No, no, we, we don't do that. That's a look. Here's my chalkboard chipping with my, no, see, that doesn't fall on my chalkboard. I'm not going to adjust for that. So it, it's the ridiculousness <laughs> of the entire thing. It, 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 it's like almost mesmerizing in its own like stupid way. Sometimes you just got to do it with your pants on, man. <laughs> pants stuck. Or, or you have to rip your pants off or you just undo the zipper. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. You know I do. It, it just depends which truck stop you're at. <laughs> oh, man. You got, you got to get on the video, Chris. You got to get on the video. I do. I do. Uh, next time, I will be webcam ready. All right. Good. <laughs> Leave yeah. the mayonnaise in the fridge. We're, we're cam girls now. Chris, BFD, and I are cam girls. Uh, so, BFD, what's your next one that you have here? So, this was the one I set myself up for. Got to use my good material, guys. What is your offensive <laughs> play of the year? Narc edition. Big Matt. <laughs> I'm not ready yet. You want to go first? Um, okay, sure. I'll just pull something out of the sky. Uh, this, one, I guess one of my most disappointing plays of the year, I think it might have been Deontay, For- Deontay Foreman's first carry where he just got absolutely obliterated and had a two yard loss. I don't think it was the same one where he fumbled, but I was so excited to finally see him back in the fold. Not that I really expected him to be great or anything, but I didn't expect him to be the worst running back I'd ever seen in my life. You know, it's, you know, he's coming off of his injury. I don't know. Like there's rumors that he sort of, uh, Cadillac'd it during his rehab. So who knows the reasoning, but I, I remember like all the buildup to him coming back. And then when he got in, he, it, he might as well have just, slipped on a, you know, slipped on a banana peel. Um, so with 10 seconds of uh, notice, that was the best I could come up with. It is a good one. He did catch a touchdown that game, though. The easiest touchdown you could catch, but it still counted. Because Sean Watson, you opened him up with his little scrambling around. He did. It was against Philly, right? Yeah. Because Sean Watson, he scrambles and pulls the linebacker, and then he's wide open. I really hope Foreman can come back. Uh, next year because you know this this season I, I completely threw that out he had a major injury it was late in the season so I don't even really count what I saw this year but I also hope that they're not going into the season 
once again, like with Will Fuller thinking, oh, well, Foreman's going to be back to exactly who he was, and Miller's going to be the guy he was last year, so we don't need to address it. I really hope that's not the way they're thinking. So, Yeah, and it's so easy to find running backs, too. And I hope Foreman works out as well. He reminds me of the bear at the end of the Blood Meridian, just dancing up on stage. And uh, so hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he's good again this year. He's a lot of fun to watch, and watching his like, you know, draft breakdown YouTube videos and even that little runny – that game he had against Arizona was really good too. Like having good outside zone backs, especially at that size, is always a lot of fun. That's something they should run up to. All right. Did you think of one, Matt? Uh, yeah. So mine's going to be this Ryan Griffin play against uh, Denver. And the reason why I said wrote about yesterday, this is how I always remember Ryan Griffin. Well, in two ways, it's him running out to the flat on third and 11 and catching a pass from name redacted for, you know, three yards, and he gets tackled immediately in Houston punts. And he loves that play so much. <laughs> and against Denver, there was a play where he wasn't chipping, like he was blocking on the line. But, like, if he has the guy or if it's late and uh, and Deshaun Watson may be under pressure, you, you see found the flat, and you're kind of check down option where he should be wide open if there is a blitz or any sort of pass rush. And so he blocks for, you know, two seconds, probably about two seconds less than he should. And then runs down the flat. Bradley Chubb is wide open. And then you have poor Julian Davenport turning his shoulders all the way over. Trying to run down, chase down uh, Bradley Chubb. He doesn't. Watson steps up. He steps into more pressure. And while all this is going on, Ryan Griffin's on the flat with his arm up. He's screaming. He's yelling for the football. With a quarterback, you know, like four yards away from him. And uh, even if he did catch the pass, he would have got two yards. It would have been a third down. So it would have been a fourth down. He would have, they would have punted. So rather than actually do his job well and pass block and help on the line of scrimmage, he's so excited, so ready to the flag and tackle immediately that he leads to Deshaun Watson in sack. <laughs> and so that's the, that was probably my favorite portion of it. Uh, after a long season, a lot of bad Ryan Griffin plays. He's like if Gary so your, Graham your away. Uh, you, so your favorite sarcastic best play of the year is the – the typical Ryan Griffin play, like the signature Ryan Griffin play. Yeah, yeah. It, like, it summarizes Wonderful. him more than all of his other Ryan Griffin plays. Uh, what do we save if we cut him? I know you don't know this off the top of your head, but for the love of God. I think it's a little bit less than two million. Yeah, so he'll be back is what you're telling me. <laughs> Let's find out. All right, BFT, what do you got? It, it, for me, it was just the ultimate Bill O'Brien play of the year. There, you know, there reaches a certain point of time when parity is no longer possible. Like even the onions going, I'm done. I'm out these because I cannot make <laughs> any more than what you've already done in real life. I mean, real life is always more stupidly ironic than, than what you can come up with. Anyway, right. But you have literally the worst tight end of football, Ryan Griffin, and you have literally the worst running back in football and Alfred Blue. And so can you think of no better strategy on fourth and two than lining up Ryan Griffin at fullback and Alfred Blue behind him to try to convert that first down? And <laughs> did that. And, and it's, it's so incredible. It's, it's incredible in so many ways. Like, like, first of all, Irony didn't even want to get murdered. It just, it harikarried itself and was dead. And then to think that there's anybody literally on the face of the earth like, you could go pick out some dude in South America who has never even seen a TV set and is going to go, nah, nah, that's a bad idea, dude. 
you know, but to ri- line up Alfred Blue behind Ryan Griffin on a fourth and two has got to be in. I'm not even being hyperbolic at this point in time. It's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever seen a football head coach do in my lifetime. <laughs> this isn't it's even Earl to, there. Left, Earl to the right, Earl up the middle punt from like the some of the early years of the Earl Campbell offense. This is beyond that. This is like this is like Indianapolis Colts fake punt territory. <laughs> that is the uh, I, I thought of Wattcat actually when you when you brought that Wattcat. up. Wattcat, <laughs> that's the only one that's close. But even Wattcat had a better chance to succeed. It's not only Wattcat; it's <laughs> it's Vince Wilfork fullback Wattcat. And he yes, just, exactly. He, just, he obliterated Derek Newton. Like Derek Newton, that's whenever his <laughs> teleattendance became a string that Von Miller finished off the following year. Was well, uh, was Vince Wilfork just plowing him in the back as, as a fullback? So creative, but O'Brien, so creative. Yeah. All right, so the, the last award I have here, we're going to do our, our favorite pass rush of the year. So, BFD, do you have a favorite pass rush of the year? Maybe we should have shared these beforehand. No, that's what makes it fun, is we have to think about this stuff on the fly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the, right. the dead air is the most fun part, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry, we, I, I, I can go ahead and go then. Mine is uh, whenever Jadavion Clowney inside out moved by tie for the two-point conversion stop, mainly just because Clowney just did to him all game where he just went inside out and never passed for a situation. And then whenever he goes to finish, Nick pulls off. It was probably the meanest thing I've ever seen somebody like do tackle-wise. Because one, it's an obvious face mask. Like, he grabs him by the head and then just like lifts him over his head and slings him down. Like it's some sort of, you know, Dragon Ball Z sort of fight. And the second thing is that Nick Foles is like six foot five, two twenty five, and Clowney insides out by time as he did throughout that game, and then grabs Foles by the face and then lifts him over his head and yanks him down pretty much. And that uh, that was even the meanest thing either that Clowney did last year, because if you forgot, he did pull Chris Ivory down by the dreads, and you can actually see that was great. separate from the scalp. And so we are very, we are all very lucky. We should all count our blessings that today Van Clowney is not our barber, uh, and he's not rushing the passer against us, other right against us. And we've never had the opportunity to try that. All right, I I thought of I thought of a good one. This is my favorite pass rush of the year is the combined three stacks of Tyron Matthew because it makes Matt crazy. He cannot <laughs> give Matthew credit for doing what he was supposed to do which is making the stack. Instead, he wants to be angry that someone, the play was executed correctly and Max did what he was supposed to do and chose the right pass for the quarterback and got the sack. It just, it just makes Matt crazy. It makes him want, it makes him want to smash things. <laughs> it's, it's more that his sacks are just, he runs straight in a free line, the hole's perfect, and he makes the tackle. There's no skill involved in it. It's just it's a wide-open rush lane. Like Kareem Jackson blitzing and knocking over the running back and making a sack. But that's different. There's some skill involved to it. So, yeah, I'm glad he makes the sack unless he's uh, rushing Blake Boros from behind and going for the strip sack instead of the safety. But whenever <laughs> I saw that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On your article, that was, that was funny. Yeah, I had to. And I, I forgot about so many fun things around that thing I, I wrote the other day. But, uh, but, yeah, like I'm fine with him getting the sack. It's good to get the sack. But it doesn't mean he's a good blitzer whenever there's no like skill or any sort of play design. Like, pass rushing or yeah, it's all play design, it's wide open, it's easy. 
but I'm over yeah. it. I, and I, it's, you know, the only bad thing about this is I say I'm over it, but the next three years, four years, it's going to be, it's not going to go away. Like, this is just the beginning of it. He's yeah, yeah, no, you're, I'm just trying to be your, I'm just trying to be your brand manager and to make sure that you're on brand at all times. Good. With your good. thoughts on Tyron Matthew. <laughs> good. And I'm, and I'm mad he's 26 too. I really wish he was like 29. So maybe that he signed right. up for be like, yeah, he's already 31. We'll cut him now. But no, he'll be here for four years to provide mediocre football. We'll, we'll see all of it. We'll hear all about it. He'll be the fourth <laughs> best safety on the roster. Yeah. He's a coward too. He blocked me on Twitter as well. Like Quentin Dems did. Wow. Yeah. What about Smooth Will? Any word on him? No, no. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, he's been retired for a while. Yeah. I'm going to go with something a little bit snarky, but also something a little bit fun. Uh, I'm not going to say a very specific play. Uh, I'm going to say that Christian Covington's two and a half back against the BSF, uh, the win against them. I, you know, they were fun. And I'm really happy he got to do them. They weren't spectacular. They were, they were kind of all trashy. But he's, you know, he's a local kid, kind of. He went to Rice. And I don't, that, to me, that was like kind of a cool feel-good thing. Is, is Christian Covington getting two and a half sacks in a game? It's never going to happen again. Like, I've got the same chance to regrow my hair. But it, it's just kind of cool that it happened. So I'm going to go with that one. I'm going to go with a positive, uplifting, spiritual movement of a play, Big Matt. Good. Yeah, let's pull us out of the slop that we've been sitting in for, for about 35 minutes now. Uh, what do you have, Chris? Yeah, I and, and I just another you thing. Know, that, you another, have a real one at all? I, I do, well, I have I have one last award, but it's so specific. There's 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 no way that well maybe maybe Matt maybe you'll be able to come up with another one, but. As far as on the fly, it's actually, you know, my first award was the BFD Memorial Award. I had one for myself, my favorite, my favorite moment of the season. And my third one is for you. So I did sort of one named after all three of us. Oh, uh, before I get to that, though, real quick, we've gone this entire time without mentioning Justin Reed's uh, pick six against the Redskins. That was another great moment in the season. Oh, yeah. I love Justin Reed. I loved the draft pick when it happened. And he's turned out to be even more than we could have expected. Awesome. Justin Reed. So excited to see his career here. Okay. My Which, last award the, the is of, Matt Weston. Play, the type of play Tyron Matthew wish he could make. Just, <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. So I remember you saying that drag, he, he wishes he was the one returning. I, I saw that in your article as well. Hashtag on brand. All right. <laughs> uh, my, my final award of the night is the Matt Weston, what are you doing to my reputation as a talent evaluator award? And that goes to Bill O'Brien for playing Martinez Rankin out of position as a tackle. Because Matt was so excited when Martinez Rakin was drafted by the Texans. It's actually a guy that he, popped, he propped up to the readers on Red's blog as a guy the Texans should go after. And they got him, and we were all very excited for that. And Matt was excited for it. And, and then they played him as a tackle, and he got his head bashed in. So obviously, though, again, BFC, you were talking earlier about how we're just a bunch of you know, schlub bloggers. We don't know anything. And yet we know these things that Bill O'Brien doesn't seem to know. This is another thing where... Matt has been screaming, he needs to be a guard, he needs to be a guard. They put him a tackle, he gets his head kicked in. We're screaming, they're going to get killed against teams that have good quarterback play. No one else seemed to realize that until that became a real thing. And then you guys had your thing earlier you talked about that you were screaming about, and, and it took seven weeks for it to come to fruition. So anyway, my final one is this one about Martinez Rankin. And Matt, I, I assume that you think he'll be fine as a guard once he actually gets more reps 
as a guard, assuming that's where they're going to keep him with all the shuffling that's sure to happen this offseason. But uh, that's my last word. Matt, I'm sure you have another one that can match that. BFD, probably not. I, I do like this one. The only, the only thing is that I do think he can play tackle, but he just can't play left tackle. Like, I want him to play right tackle. And then they have him okay. play guard against Washington. But, yeah, I mean, they, they screwed that whole thing up. Um, so they kind of start from the beginning is I watched all the tackles last year uh, for the draft. And I was like, Martinez Rankin's the guy I like the most. Like, he actually can both run and pass block. He's big. He's pretty strong. Uh, I just didn't think he'd be quick enough to play left and he should play right. And I had no idea why they, uh, why, they why he came in at left tackle to start the year after Chantrell Henderson went down and then moved down port to right tackle, put Rankin at left. It was a complete disaster. Like, that New England game was bad. Tennessee Titans game the week after was even worse. Uh, then they benched Davenport, and they put uh, Kendall Lamb at right tackle, left uh, Rankin at left tackle. That those game was one of the worst pass-blocking games you'll ever see. And then they benched Martinez Rankin finally, put Davenport back at left tackle. And then it took him like four or five, six weeks to actually get used to moving from his left side again and was good. So both of them are kind of combined the same award. Because I did like Davenport Al Butnell. I liked him last year. I still like him as a, if he got, I thought if he got strong enough, he could start left tackle and he was you know, fine. I, I mean, there's still you know, growth there and everything for him for the future. And it seems like he's sort of fine to move on you know, from down for left tackle. Uh, this should be my guess, but it wasn't really hit at all. It wasn't entirely his own fault with them moving him to right, with them putting ranking left and all that. I uh, just mismanagement both those guys too. But yeah, it really hurts my feelings every time Davenport gives up the sack. Every time I saw Rankin left tackle, it really uh, – because, uh, you know, I really like those two guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm still upset about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> well, we're running out of show, so that works out nicely. And I do have one. I'm offended. If I had any hmm. sort of self-respect, I would totally be offended. I'm going to go with uh, Stenio Calamante because he was somebody who I was really hopping on the bandwagon during the 2017 playoff. And – yeah, I was really excited when we signed him uh, uh, in the offseason. I thought we even got a great contract out of him. But he really did not play well most of the year. And so that one made me look pretty bad. And I was fully, I was fully homering on him. So yeah, maybe next year. I, again, it goes back to kind of the, the, the Matt Weston. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't remember the word I'm oh, looking for. Genius. Yeah, something like that. Uh, the, it's, yeah. it's the word. It's the word when you have kind of a theory when when you know something happens, like we're from the 1800s. But anyway, so it's the Matt Matt Weston theory that whenever a offensive lineman comes to the Texans, they get worse, and so he falls under that that theory, I think. And then whenever they leave, they get better. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever. Who cares? Who cares? Uh, so what's your last award you got for us, BMD? I've got the Offensive Play of the Year. Your real one. We've kind of already touched upon these a lot. I'm sorry I didn't come up with something more original. You guys both suck for coming similar questions as me. But that's my that's mine, the Offensive Play of the Year for Really Real. Uh, for me, I, I would say that third 11 conversion Watson had against the Philadelphia Eagles. I already wrote about it. I already talked about it earlier. So for the, the sake of, of spicing things up just a little bit, put some pink salt in the podcast instead of just table salt. 
I would say the, the deep touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins is the New York Jets. Because that was another play, like you mentioned, with Will Fuller, where you have the defensive backs arguing each other afterwards. And But that was the opposite, where the defensive back, I can't remember who was in the Jets, just kind of like was dejected and walked off because there's nothing they could do about it. And that was the play where they actually ran a play-action pass, and they actually threw the ball downfield. And you have Hopkins, you know, uh, Hopkins ran one-on-one with the defensive back, gives a slight push-off. Watson throws the ball really high in the air and then away from him. And then Hopkins is permission to Labrador retreat for just tracking the ball in the air. Dives, gets a knee in the back of the end zone. Defensive back has no idea where the ball went the entire way. And it was a really nice touchdown. And it was kind of similar to the one that he, the touchdown he had on Darrell Revis back in 2014, where he's just running a post route down the middle of the field. That one was even better because that one was just like burning somebody. This one was similar, but it was more like a catching a pop fly there by loss to the side or like playing baseball in Tampa and got lost in the catwalk. But Hopkins was still able to find it. Chris? Okay, well, I mean, I kind of gave mine earlier with Lamar Miller, but just to name a couple more, uh, Lamar Miller, a uh, 97-yard touchdown. Just to throw a couple more out there, I actually, in my brain, was thinking of that Hopkins play against the Jets, but Matt got that one. So, uh, I also, the, the Vincent Smith catch. God, the that was mine! <laughs> for the, you know, just for the excitement of when that happened during the game, the, the clutch aspect of it. I mean, that that was a big one uh, because I I did not going into that game. I fully expected the Texans to lose that game. So when it came close to the end there and they had gotten within a score and they took the lead late, I mean, that, that made me, that, that gave me some hope in true Houston professional football fashion. I had hope for a first round buy. And I started thinking to myself, maybe they will win this game. Now we just have to make sure we don't crap the bed against the Jaguars in the last game of the season at home. And I, and, and as soon as I allowed myself to think in the next game, I snapped back to my, you know, my place in the world, which is face down on the ground as a, as a Houston pro football fan, just begging the football gods to let us hang on to this win. And as usual, the infamous Houston Texans end of half defense showed up. And it, that was that. Which one hurt more the 2018 collapse or the 2012 collapse from losing the first round by? I mean, currently, it's, it's the more current one because, you know, we have our, um, we have our, our no doubt about it franchise quarterback because the previous time, that was a bit of fool's gold that season. Well, then again, it, it was kind of... Oh, Robin! Season, so. No! <laughs> uh. in, 20, in 2012? Yeah! That was rubbish. That was because that was the Albert Hainsworth season, right? When yeah, that, was, no, that was 2011. Yeah, 12 uh, was when Rashad came back and then he got tired after the Jacksonville game. You guys are right. My bad. Yeah, yeah right, I don't, so I don't, know, I don't know the year. Know, I don't know the year, so I just know what thing happened in the Houston Texans season, and that's how I track time. Yeah, no, that, that 2011 team was the best Texans team hands down that there's ever been. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so what's your offensive play, BFT? What do you got for us? So, no, to, for me... I did not watch that the last, I think it was like the last quarter of that Eagles game live. So I had to watch it later on that night, late that night, if I remember correctly too. And I remember I was, I had, I was sitting in front of the TV tray at the TV. My wife would have been really upset with me that I was sitting at the TV tray in front of the TV. And when he threw that, I mean, that, that, that conversion that you talked about was, was fantastic. The pass that made me stand up and go eight was the throw to Vince Smith. 
And I'm, I'm kind of like, even when I watch games, I'm not really emotional anymore. I'm, I'm very much just going, okay, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. You know, Chris is an auditor too. You know, we're both in the security and audit business. We are just kind of cool and low about everything, I think. But uh, <laughs> that pass made me shoot up so fast. I knocked over the TV tray down. I was so happy that it didn't break the glass on the coffee table right there. And I'd already pooped the plate off of it because I was just, I was like, I'm going to go run through a freaking raw wall right now because that was like one of the, one of the best passes you'll ever see a quarterback take. It was so beautiful. It was so perfect. And Vince Smith brought it down and I was psyched and I'm psyched even just talking about it now, Big Matt. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to watch some more football right now. Oof. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Go I tried. I tried. First round. Philip Ryan. Boom! Uh, I, so, the AF, they're in San Antonio. They're some lower-level tickets for 250 bucks though, which is so stupid. And hopefully those prices go down. I may also try to use this SP Nation thing to try to get uh, maybe try to get on the field and watch Christian Hackenberg in person in like April. And that's my only goal for this offseason is to see Hackenberg in person uh, in the Alamo Dome. There's nothing better. You got to get a press pass, man, so you can interview him. That's, oh, I asked him a question. What do you think about that game? How do you feel right now? <laughs> do you think Bill O'Brien will bring you back to the NFL? <laughs> You're in do, you, do you talk to Bill O'Brien often? <laughs> Tell me more about uh, playing football. Do you like it? Remember, remember that time at Penn State when you had that one good season? Remember? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's very good. Yeah. All right, so, so that's all of our awards for for tonight. Uh, what are you guys doing all off season? What are your plans for until September comes around again? Chris. Uh, um, um, work myself into the grave or work myself until the next uh, football season starts. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not more exciting. <laughs> I was thinking about taking up finger knitting and yeah. No, oh, I. Oh, yeah. wait. I'm going to continue doing my movie podcast, which is uh, called Technicolor Blood. You can find me on Twitter at, at TechBloodPod. So there you go. I just promoted my, my other podcast. Good. That's, all, that's what I was hoping from you. I'm glad yeah. you got it. Well yeah. done. Glad. Yeah. Well done. It is a good podcast. I listen to it whenever yeah. there's something I actually know about. It's like, oh, yeah, I've watched them listen to it. I'm like, okay, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Anyone listening right now, you could be our 14th listener. If there are two of you, you could be our 15th listener. You see how this works? <laughs> and don't forget to donate to his Patreon as well too for it that's right yeah do that give it up <laughs> I heard Chris and our boy Brett get your Patreons on <laughs> yeah um, alright well anyways that's all we have for tonight's show uh, we'll do something probably similar on Thursday live and at the LA studios just but for the NFL in general and then next Tuesday We'll do a, uh, like a free agency off-season preview show or we will be back with a hard-hitting off-season Texans, big football man-knowing analysis. Uh, but that was the show for tonight. Thank you for being on tonight, Chris. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. And minus Mount Weston, thank you for listening to Bobbard Radio. Woo! Thanks, guys.